You're listening to Watchman Internet Radio, the Daily Word Program for December 26, 2018. We're going to discuss the daily text and another article on eWatchman.com. But first, we're going to listen to a little jingle here called See the Light. December 26, taken from Genesis 2.17. As for the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, you must not eat from it. The Watchtower's comment reads, It was not hard for Adam and Eve to understand this law, nor was it a hardship for them to obey it. After all, they had more food available than they could eat. Satan the devil using a serpent, fooled Eve into disobeying her father, Jehovah. Satan made an issue of the fact that God's human children were not allowed to eat from every tree of the garden. It was as if he was saying, You mean you cannot do what you want? Next, he told a blatant lie. You certainly will not die. Then he tried to convince Eve that she need not listen to God, saying, God knows that in the very day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Satan implied that Jehovah did not want them to eat the fruit because doing so would enlighten them. Further, Satan made this false promise, You will be like God, knowing good and bad. It may be hard for some people to understand this account. They may think it is a myth or a fairy tale or just an allegory. After all, who would believe a snake talking? But you have to appreciate that Adam and Eve were, they were like children, really, 
they had very little experience. Think how easy it is to trick a child, you know? And even though Adam and Eve were adults, they didn't, the only humans who didn't have a childhood, they were innocent. They lived in this little wonderland and everything was pure and clean and innocent and there was nothing to be suspicious about. There were no menacing animals out to eat them or it was a paradise. And apparently Adam could speak to God on a regular basis, on a daily basis, evidently. So we shouldn't suppose that, you know, Eve... So it seems to me that in this wonderland that Satan was so clever, he he knew that Eve would be entranced by this serpent that seemed to speak. Of course, Satan was acting like a ventriloquist. He didn't just want to speak from the invisible because that may have alerted Eve that something wasn't quite right. Maybe it was, think of this, that the wily devil maneuvered Eve to look at the tree. I mean, obviously she was close to it because she ate from it pretty uh, immediately after the serpent uh, tempted her. But what a clever ruse if Satan maneuvered Eve up to the tree, the forbidden tree of knowledge, and there's the serpent in the tree, and maybe there's a piece of fruit with a bite out of it. And Eve is going to think, I mean, she no doubt had seen other serpents around. None of them spoke to her. But here is this serpent who is in the forbidden tree, and it has eaten some of this fruit. And now it's speaking like an intelligent person, like my husband Adam. This fruit must really be powerful if it can make a dumb serpent speak intelligently. And so he deceived her. The Bible, though, says Adam was not deceived. He didn't hear the serpent speak, but he was persuaded by his wife. And she, was, she had to have been a knockout beauty. And apparently Adam had been alone for a long time, which is why when Jehovah presented him with his wife, he said, At last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So, even though Adam was not deceived, he decided to listen to his wife, to follow her course, knowing, knowing that it wasn't right. And of course, immediately, because they were perfect, immediately their consciences told them that they had done something terribly wrong. And that is why when Jehovah came strolling about in the garden, as was his custom around the breezy part of the day, 
Adam was nowhere to be found. Of course, Jehovah sees everything. He knew where he was. But he tested him, saying, Adam, where are you? And there he was, hiding in the bushes. I was hiding because I, I was afraid, because I'm naked. And Jehovah said, Who told you you were naked? They were in such innocence. Nakedness was nothing. They had a perfectly clean conscience until they disobeyed Jehovah. And that's what Satan was counting on, wasn't it? It's hard to underestimate the shock and the impact in heaven that this angel must have made because all the angels were just like Adam and Eve before they sinned. They were innocent and pure and there was apparently no disharmony in heaven from the time that Jehovah made his first creation, the Word, Jesus Christ. And here is this beautiful, intelligent, superhuman angel, a cherub, evidently, whom Jehovah gave a very special assignment to be the overseer of Adam and Eve and to guide them, to protect them. And So here he stands up and accuses God of the most horrible thing, saying that God essentially is a liar, that God is doesn't have their best interests at heart. He doesn't want them to be enlightened. He's holding something back. Truly, it must have been shocking to the other angels to hear one of their brothers make this slanderous accusation against God. And that's why he's called Satan. He has opposed God. And, of course, the word devil means slanderer. He slandered God's good name. Well, Jehovah had the answer right that very day. He issued a far-ranging prophecy about the offspring of the woman that would crush the serpent. It's likely Adam and Eve really didn't know that the serpent was merely a tool of a, this rebellious angel. And Satan, the devil, is not mentioned but a couple of times in the entire Hebrew Scriptures. And most of that reference is in the book of Job where it reveals this uh, meeting of all the angels where Satan came in among them with some more accusations against God. Is it for nothing that Job serves you? Have you not put a hedge about him and everything he owns? Well, what was Satan implying there? That the only reason that people are loyal to Jehovah is because he bribes them. He gives them all the goodies, and yeah, okay, that's why they... That's why they go through this pretext of worshiping him. They don't really love him, but they like the goodies they get from him. Satan is such a hypocrite, though. I mean, because <laughs> the very thing he accused Jehovah of doing is what he did. 
when Jesus was on the earth, what did Satan say to him? All the kingdoms of the world, I'll give them to you if you worship me. (laughs) Isn't that bribery? Isn't that the very thing he accused Jehovah of doing? Of course it is. To be sure, though, Jehovah's response to this rebellion, his solution to it, is not just simply to destroy Satan. He could have done that in the Garden of Eden. But just as Satan has slandered God, God's intention is to prove to all onlookers, the angels as well as humans, humans yet to be born, humans yet to be resurrected, that Satan is a liar. And the primary way that God is going to do that is by making a new creation. And the new creation will have God's spirit and law instilled in them to such an extent that they no longer need to rely upon God for life or to tell them what is good and bad. So, the fact that they're given immortality, indestructibleness, means that they know good and bad, and they choose to be loyal to God regardless, no equivocation, no exception. (laughs) And it proves that Satan was lying when he implied that Jehovah couldn't tolerate anyone having the same privileges as himself. of the devil, I'd like to read you an article from the mailbag published a couple of years ago. It's called The Devil's Disguise. And the question is, Robert, what does the devil gain? What advantage does he acquire by implementing and promoting a fake parousia of Christ? If one wants to ask, why is it such a big deal? Why would he go through such an elaborate reach to cause a war in 1914 to convince the masses Christ's parousia has begun? Even if the Watchtower changes their position on 1914, don't you think the masses of witnesses would fit in line and accept it as new light? I guess I'm trying to understand what the operation of air that God allows, a fake parousia, and what significance it really has. Well, my comment is, as all of Jehovah's Witnesses well know, 
The Watchtower claims to be Jehovah's visible organization. JWs boast of being in the truth by virtue of their being active members of the officially named Christian Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses. Going back to the teachings of J.F. Rutherford, there are only two organizations on earth, Jehovah's Organization and Satan's. All of the various and sundry institutions, be they political, religious, educational, or commercial, whatever, are part of the devil's apparatus for controlling and misleading mankind away from God. It has been inculcated into Jehovah's Witnesses that the Watchtower's governing body, who have only recently declared themselves to be the faithful and discreet slave of Christ, are the sole conduit for channeling truth to the flock of God. There is no other source of truth, since it is also the unofficial doctrine of the Watchtower that nobody outside of Bethel's inner circle of anointed initiates can understand the scriptures on their own. Any such claimants are automatically branded as impostors and mentally diseased apostates. It is the governing body that determines what is true and what is false, and all of Jehovah's Witnesses are expected, yes, required, to accept what comes from the slave as Jehovah's truth without questioning. Showing loyalty to the arrangement is considered the primary obligation of all of Jehovah's Witnesses. Surely, none of Jehovah's Witnesses would dispute the veracity of those statements. But that is not all. Essentially, the Watchtower claims to be the very kingdom of God. That is because it has placed itself in the place of the kingdom. To demonstrate the point, the prophecies in Isaiah and Micah foretelling how people from the nations will stream up to the mountain of the house of Jehovah in the final part of the days is interpreted to apply to the numerical increase among the formerly called New World Society, which effectively makes the watchtower the mountain of Jehovah, at least in the minds of Jehovah's Witnesses. As Jehovah's visible organization, Jehovah's Witnesses have been compelled to believe they are living in a holy spiritual paradise, devoid of all the evils prevalent in Satan's wicked system. Indeed, Jehovah's organization is believed to be a protective bubble that Satan cannot penetrate. It is often said that one of the devil's most clever schemes is convincing the unwary that he does not exist, or that he is some folkloric creature reigning over the damned in a subterranean inferno. Although well aware that the devil is the god of this world, and that he is misleading the entire inhabited earth, Jehovah's Witnesses are nonetheless under his subtle, deluding influence and in that Witnesses are required to believe that Christ has come, that the kingdom is ruling, and the visible organization is the only sanctuary for salvation. That is the lie 
that Jehovah allows as part of the operation of Satan that Paul foretold. Thus Satan, the mimic god, ever disguising himself as an angel of light, has insinuated himself into the very circle of leadership over Jehovah's Witnesses in order to perpetuate his falsehood. And his odious presence has thus far gone undetected. This should not be considered some unusual feat. It happened in the first century. How? Take note that the anointed brothers and sisters in the Corinthian congregation were apparently presided over and greatly influenced by prominent men whom Paul dubbed the superfine apostles. That is why Paul expressed his grave concern that the virgin-like congregation that he formed and promised to Christ might be deceived and have their minds corrupted and be drawn away from Christ, like Eve had been seduced by the serpent, which was Satan's original disguise. The fact that Paul described them as apostles means that they were men of stature, held in high regard by the brothers, and no doubt they wielded considerable authority over the congregation as older men. Most likely they were Greek orators, accomplished public speakers and debaters, which is why they denigrated Paul, deriding him as having a weak personal presence and being a contemptible public speaker. But the inspired apostle was not taken in by their ruse. He pulled the mask off of the superfine apostles, revealing that they were actually agents of the devil who had only disguised themselves as ministers of righteousness. As such, no doubt the disguise was very effective. Those phony apostles and false brothers evidently preached and did all the things that the brothers did, making their presence as agents of Satan within Christ's congregation undetectable. The situation in ancient Corinth was no anomaly. In his symbolic letters to the seven congregations in Revelation, Jesus spoke of false apostles within the Ephesian congregation. But as we know, those seven congregations of Revelation are really a projection of Christ's congregation in the lead-up to his return, the beginning of the Lord's day. That being so, that means true Christians now will be menaced by false apostles within. Presently, the demonic influence is relatively benign. However, what will happen when Christ comes, when the kingdom actually begins to rule in the midst of God's enemies? That is when the lie and the truth will come into sharp contrast, because then all the things the Watchtower claims have already been fulfilled and cannot be duplicated will come about, namely international wars, food shortages, and global pandemics. 
Will the Watchtower make one final massive adjustment and repudiate 1914 entirely? Perhaps. But only for the purpose of further deceiving. At that point, the false apostles within will come to the fore as full-blown opposers of Christ, otherwise known as antichrists. That is why Jesus strongly forewarned his followers about the powerful deception that will go into operation then. Jesus said the deception would be so powerful that if it were possible, even the chosen ones would be deceived. Obviously, the chosen ones would not be vulnerable to being deceived by any source other than that which they have accepted as Jehovah's channel. It is not possible now to determine exactly how the deception will play out during the parousia, but the fact that Jehovah's Witnesses have put up with the 1914 falsehood for so long is an indication of the effectiveness of the deceiver. But, to put things in perspective, it is only by God's allowance, because Jehovah wants to determine whether we have genuine faith or if we are merely following men. By allowing that which is believed to be Jehovah's visible organization to go into apostasy, the stage will be set for those claiming to be Christians to demonstrate their faith apart from the organization. And when the kingdom comes, it most assuredly will be apart from the Watchtower Bible and Track Society. End of article. Well, you know, as long as Satan, the devil, is the god of this world, he being the father of the lie, I mean, it's amazing when you consider that lies are pretty much all pervasive. We're used to it coming from politicians, and the media now is known for writing false articles. Fake news is uh, the, the new expression. We know that the churches are full of doctrinal lies. People lie, you know, just children lie. It's, it is so ingrained in us. And it's because we're ruled over by the liar. So Jehovah's Witnesses are not immune to it, are they? But when Christ comes, that's when everything is made plain. There's a revelation of the truth in connection with Christ. And that's what I'm trying to prepare people's minds for. And trying to encourage people not to be so hasty to reject the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses merely because this lie is embedded in it, this 1914 lie. It is by Jehovah's permission, and it serves his purpose, as I've tried to explain. At any rate, uh, I'm sure to be talking about this some more going forward. I'm going to leave you with an appropriately entitled piece called I keep searching. 
Hope to see you tomorrow.